Today, we come to lament. Now, lament's not a word that we use a lot in our world, in our culture. Lament simply means to express deep regret, grief, or sorrow. As you look through the Bible, you find lament all throughout the pages. That lamentation, that lamenting, is all through there. This lamentation is a prayer that comes out of our pain. Uh, Job says in chapter 3, verse 11, Why did I not perish at birth, come forth from the womb, and expire? The, The prophets, just a cursory reading of the prophets, you'll see countless lamentations and crying out to God. The prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, says, Why is my pain continuous and my wound incurable? Habakkuk said, My legs tremble beneath me. Lamentations, the entire book, is, a, is just nothing but a, a pouring out of the people's confusion and suffering felt after the Babylonian destruction. The book of Psalms, 150 Psalms in there, and over one-third of those are laments. Psalm 69, Save me, O God. The waters are up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. There's no foothold. I've come into deep waters. And the flood sweeps over. I'm weary of crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. Waiting. For my God. It's one of those psalms that means most when you're in the valley, when you're going through it, or when you have been through the valley. You identify with the feeling of the waters being here. No foothold. And the rain continues to pour. And so, as a family in our season of lament, in our time of, even if we're not going through it, we're weeping with those who weep. We have no words. And so, is that okay? To be there as the people of God? The scriptures say that it is. The people of faith, from beginning to the time of Jesus... And even through today, 
will face trouble. Deep trouble. And, and so as the people of God, then... What do we do on Sunday? If you've ever been in the valley, you know that what we do here when you're in the valley can feel numb, can feel disconnected. There's this dissonance between knowing there's a God and believing there's a God and there's something in your heart questioning God and wondering where He is. And so I point to you to another psalm, which we're going to be in for the rest of our worship time. And if you have a Bible, I'll encourage you to open to Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, another psalm of lament, it's one that that resonates for people who've been in the in the valley of hurt and sorrow and despair and hopelessness. And I was trying to think about the past several messages we've been standing to read the scripture. But this morning I want to ask us to do something a little bit different. You can remain seated. I'm going to read Psalm 77, verses 1 through 9. And, and, and there's one line in there that I'm going to repeat. It's at the beginning, and I'm going to repeat it throughout the psalm. And as I read that one line, the line is, I cry aloud to God. I'd like you to repeat that after me. So I'll read, and you listen for the words... I cry aloud to God. When I say them, then you say them, okay? From Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I cry aloud to God. And when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I cry aloud to God. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. I cry aloud to God. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? 
Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I cry aloud to God. If you've ever been in the valley, you understand the sentiments of the psalmist. Lament is nothing new in the scripture. Even in Jesus' time, it was the blind beggar named Bartimaeus, and he lamented, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It was at the funeral of his friend Lazarus where Martha lamented to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even Jesus lamented in the garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Take this cup away. And in his agony on the cross, as he suffered for us, as he bled for us, as he paid for sins which were not his, he quoted from Psalm 22. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And so, as a person of faith, and certainly as a follower of Jesus, if you've ever wept, if you've ever mourned, if you've ever grieved deeply, if you've ever questioned why, you need to know that you are in good company. If you, like the psalmist, have ever been in a valley so deep that your tears have been your food day and night, then you're in good company. Followers of Jesus, like Jesus, are familiar with suffering. And so today, apart from ignoring our lament, apart from pretending it isn't there. We embrace it. We acknowledge it. Today as a family, we cry aloud to God. Even if you're not in the valley, as a family, we sit alongside our brothers and our sisters who are. We weep with those who have lost. We suffer with those who are suffering. We agonize with all who are in agony, be it family struggles or sickness or sorrow or pain or loss. And and in our lament, we still trust in God. We believe that He is among us. 
And maybe, maybe just maybe, God is closer than we know in our times of brokenness. From Psalm chapter 34, David writes the words, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. And so we, we come today to weep, to grieve, and to lament, because we as a family are a people who are broken and crushed. And we hold on to the promise at the same time that we can trust God and we can trust in His promises. This past week started like a normal day and I received a call. And that call was from my wife, which I immediately picked up. She said, I've been in a wreck. I said, are you okay? She said, yes, but I am in the middle lane on Kellogg, which is exactly where you don't want to be. So I said, if possible, and everyone else is okay, move to the side. I'll be there as quickly as I can. I rushed. And as I rushed, I got on Kellogg. And on Kellogg, it slowed down to effectively a giant six-lane parking lot. There had been another wreck, not my wife's. But you can imagine the frustration and the angst that you go through. Finally got to the exit, where she was, pulled to the side, the police were there. Everyone seemed to be okay, and thankfully the only thing injured were vehicles. As we stood there, as they were filling out paperwork and exchanging insurance information, I noticed up ahead were, was another wreck. They had a different set of police officers were working just ahead of where my wife's had occurred. I thought, wow. And as we stood there, there between the Kellogg and, and as we stood on the shoulder, next to us was a frontage road. And while we were standing there, another three-car wreck occurred. And the instant reaction of all of us was shock and surprise. And one of the young ladies that was involved in my wife's wreck said, she just exclaimed so loudly, what is going on? I thought about that when I was thinking about today. We've been seeing a lot of wreckage in the family here. 
And it's impossible not to see all of that happening and ask, what is going on? The psalmist from Psalm 77 cries aloud to God. In Exodus chapter 14 is the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And while that makes for a good VBS story and encouragement to children, you need to know that getting there and getting through there was more difficult than we, than we think, than we realize. And if you care to follow along, Exodus chapter 14 is where I'll begin. The scene is Israel has left Egypt. Pharaoh has changed his mind as pursuit of his Israelite slaves in chariots and horses. I'm sorry if I said verse 10, verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by Fahirioth in front of Belzephon. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. If you've ever been there, between your proverbial chariots, and a wall of water. And you're looking at the chariots, and you're looking at the water, and the only natural thing to do is look up and say, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Back to Psalm 77. The psalmist Starting in verse 10, says this, Then I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God 
is great like our God. We've, we've sung that. We've read that. My question is, are you living that? It's hard when you're going through the valley. It's, it's some would say, seemingly impossible. When you're, when you're facing the chariots and you're facing the, the horses and you're, you, you, there seems nowhere to go, you lament. You cry out to God. And so out of his lament, the psalmist calls us, calls God's people to do one thing, and it's this. Remember. To remember God. To remember what he has done in the past. To remember from where he brought us. To remember that he has led us. To remember that he has not forgotten us. To remember his works, his wonders. To ponder them. To reflect upon them. To meditate on his mighty deeds. And then we proceed to verses 14 of the same psalm. And it, it calls, us, calls us to another time. The, song, the time that we just read about in Exodus. When his people felt helpless and in despair with no answers, surely questioning the ways of God. And the psalmist says this, starting in verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. If God leads you to it, the promise, the hope, is He will lead you through it. You say, that sounds like a nice speech, preacher, but I don't see God anywhere. And I say, look back at the Psalms, what He says. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. And yet, your footprints were unseen. God leads us through, even though we can't see Him. God leads us through, even though we don't understand how. God leads us through, even when we do not understand. Verse 20 
You led your people. You led your people. You led your people. And that promise has not changed. We as God's people, as part of our worship, we do this every week, we are called to remember as well. To remember is deeds of deliverance. Oh, we know, we know many of the, the accounts of the biblical narrative. Times when God brought Israel through. The times when God made a way when there seemed to be no way. Again, it's easy to reply, I wish I could see something like that. I draw us to the emblems. And I say, you have. You behold in this bread, in this cup, that God has delivered us as well. He redeemed us from an unrelenting enemy as well. We remember how His wonders, how He delivered us through the water as well. Just as He delivered them in Christ, He has delivered us, and we are His. And He will lead us through the valley. And so as we come to a point of our worship, I I want us to look upon this as a time of remembrance, which of course is always true, but not just a remembrance, but a promise that God has delivered, that God will deliver, that God is delivering on Him. He is God's way through He is the path to life and deliverance. And though His footprints are often unseen, we remember that just because we cannot see Him does not mean that He is not present. In this moment, we we remember and we trust and we follow. And we remember the God who works wonders, and the God who delivers. And so we come to this point in our worship where we come to remember the past deliverance. We come to remember the present deliverance, and we come to be reminded of our future deliverance as well. And there are some of you sitting in the pew that are in a place of deep hurt, place of sickness, a place of questioning. When the boss gives you a pink slip, or the doctor gives you a bad report, or a child gets sick, it's easy to come to a place of lament. 
And my hope is that you will remember what God has done. That you will remember His Son. And that you will have His peace. In a moment, we're going to allow those that need to, to respond in a public way. How we do that here at Northside is we sing a song together, we stand and sing, and, and those that have a need head to the back where our shepherds stand ready to help. But maybe you're not ready for that. And let me invite you to do one other thing after the final amen. First, I want you to remember that we serve a God who delivers His way, His path. And that whether you're in the valley now, or whether you face it in the days to come, may you cast every burden, may you cast every anxiety, every fear, every worry, every heartache on Him. Because he cares for you. I want to ask you to be present with other people because it's one thing to have the peace of God for yourself, but it's a very important thing to begin to overflow with that encouragement to others. And so if you've received the peace of God, I want to ask you to share the peace of God. That might be giving a word of encouragement. That might be noticing someone who's standing all by themselves. That is moving past pleasantries and into genuine presence with other people. It might be praying with a person. Maybe a person next to you in the pew or a person sitting across the aisle. But even in our time of lament, let us be the family of God. And let us do what the family of God is designed to do. We've seen so many good things happen even through hard times. The, The number of people that make meals and deliver food and send cards and encourage and call and text... It it just begins to overflow. That's good. That's a part of what the family of God does. And so, if you're not in a season of grief, if you're not in a valley, may may you be a source of that to other people. But if you are in the valley, if you're sitting where Job sat, my simple request of you is, To let the people pour into you. To let the family be the family. And may we together never forget what God has done. That's my encouragement to you. If you have a public need, we're going to stand and sing at this time. And you can head to the back. Let's stand and sing together.